all these 5% of coins went all over the dance floor. Oh. And he was like, right, everyone can get their coin back now. <laughs> 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 Nobody wanted their coins. User error 82. I'm Joe. I'm Alan. And I'm Dan. And we're back. And we've got a bunch of hashtag ask error questions for you. And remember, you can submit them either on Twitter or in the Jupiter Broadcasting Telegram group, which is jupiterbroadcasting.com slash telegram. Or you can email us. The details are error.show slash contact. So the first question then. Is the web irrelevant now? This has really started to dawn on me lately that although a lot of the apps that people use are based on web technologies, the web itself is becoming increasingly irrelevant for most normal, non-techie people. Yeah, that's kind of an interesting phenomenon, right? Is it seems like for a while that everybody was like, ah, web apps, web apps, web apps, and then you see that the things that people are like increasingly frustrated with seems to be services that don't have a proper app for the platform with the exception of things that are like throwaways, like single use kind of web stuff that you like, you don't need an an app for like a restaurant that you're only going to visit once and look up the menu. Right. But for something that is like a service that you use consistently, it seems like just having a website isn't really good enough anymore. And if you look at a young person using their phone, they generally don't ever open the browser. My niece, who is 14, I think, I wanted to uh, go to fast.com to test the internet speed. I said, right, open the browser. And she was like, what? And then I had to, there's Safari, that. And she didn't have any tabs open. She just never, ever used it. She uses Snapchat, Instagram, TikTok, just apps, not a browser. I'm torn on this because I think there's two distinct groups. There are certainly the groups of people who are app-centric and who load their device up with a bunch of apps. And I consider myself one of those people. I generally use apps for everything. But then there are a certain chunk of refuseniks who do not want to use apps and who will do their absolute best to use the web page and get really frustrated when the web version of whatever application doesn't work or asks them to do something in a particular way. And I'll say, well, why don't you just use the app? Oh, no, I'm not doing that. And I think it's it's started to dawn on people that the tracking that apps do and the fact that there's the potential for them to have access to your photos, your contacts, your microphone, your location is something they don't necessarily want. And I don't think that was the case a few years ago. I think that's relatively new that people have started to realize that these app developers possibly can't be trusted. And it might not be that the app developer can't be trusted. It might be that they're using some third-party library in order to do the location stuff or to do the microphone stuff, whatever it is. But I think there's a certain chunk of people who just don't like the idea of having an app for everything, and they would just rather use a browser tab. I don't know what proportion that is, but you seem to find people are in one of those two camps. Well, my wife is very much in the use the website for it camp. She will just have a a tab open for Twitter on her phone 
and various other websites, Facebook or whatever, she never will install the app unless she absolutely has to. But I think she is in a vanishingly small minority. I don't know. Uh, I've noticed when I travel on the train into London, I find myself looking at other people's phones and seeing how they use them. And obviously, there's a significant proportion who are using messaging apps and predominantly they're using the app for that and they're using WhatsApp and uh, Facebook Messenger and stuff like that. But then if you look closely, you'll see the other things they're doing are actually in a web browser. So they could be reading the news on a particular website like the Guardian or the Daily Mail or whatever, and you will certainly see the little things at the top and at the bottom nudging them to install the app. But I've certainly seen a fair number of people who will use the browser uh, rather than install the app. But Dan, you really focus on native apps, at least on the desktop. So presumably you're all in on the apps on the phone as well. Well, you know, it's funny actually thinking about my own usage. I guess there's a couple things that an app would be way better for, but for some reason, like just because I guess that's how I, I learned to use computers that I, I feel like, oh, if I'm going to look up the definition of a word, I'll just go search that in the web browser. And it's like, it would probably be a way better experience to have like a dictionary app. I don't know why that's something that I do in that way. But um, on the desktop, I think that our, our stance has been for quite a while that the best experience is to provide like the internet without the web is kind of the mantra that we have been trying to push. And like, we haven't really done a great job on completely delivering that experience just yet, but like, that's definitely the direction where we always see wanting to be is being connected to like the broader like internet, you know, I guess the cloud or whatever you want to call it, but not like through a web frame. And yet most of these apps use web technologies. As I said, a lot of them are using CSS and HTML with additional components, obviously. But there's not really a reason why a lot of the apps that people use, I'm thinking the popular ones like Instagram, there's not really any reason why that couldn't be a very similar experience in a browser tab. Well, it is. And you can visit most of these things on the web, but they try and push you to use the app because once you've got the app, they get the analytics data from your device and they can push notifications to your device. And pushing notifications nudges you to reopen the app more often. So if you do install TikTok, then you'll get notifications that someone you follow or someone popular has posted a TikTok video. And that will drive people to open the application and, and view that thing. And that's the same for most things. If if you install the app, it will almost certainly result in higher engagement with that application. And from a company point of view, that's what they want. And from an individual's point of view, who's wanting to moderate their time and use of their phone, that may not be what you want. Um, recently, a friend of mine was lamenting the fact that the Slack uh, application doesn't do what he expected on a mobile device in a browser, but kind of tried to get him to install the app. And all he wanted to do was access the desktop site. 
Um, and there was some browser sniffing or some clever stuff going on in Slack that was trying to force him to have a worse experience or install the app, which looked like they were trying to drive people to install the app. And I said, well, why don't you just install the app? You, you'll get a better experience. And he didn't like the idea of having a greater attack surface by having more applications on his phone. So there are certainly savvy people out there who don't like the idea of apps. I think there's certainly a split, and I think most people are in one of those two camps. Yeah, I think from a user experience perspective, the apps can offer like a way better experience, not just from like the fluidity of the interface, but in terms of platform integration. If you have the Instagram app installed, since we're talking about Instagram a bunch, um, then it'll show up in the share sheet, right? So if you want to share a photo from your photos library, then that's just an option that's right there. And you don't have to like go load up the website and then open the like file explorer dialog or however your platform deals with that. And so it's just a more like convenient way to interact with the application without necessarily like going out of your way to open it or access it. I guess there's, there's more ways to interact passively with the application through the system integration. Should we apply a Git-style approach to improve laws? This is really interesting to me because I think that this kind of line of, of thinking implies that there's some kind of legal programming language. Well, I think the question comes from the idea of the way laws are made now is very old. It's a very old-fashioned way that we elect people and then they discuss them and then they make the laws. Whereas if everybody could kind of contribute to those laws and there was some sort of process to review the contributions to them, they could be updated much more quickly as the world seemingly accelerates and culture seemingly accelerates. We need new laws all the time, or we need old laws to be adapted to new situations. And so I can see the argument for it. It's never going to happen, but I can see it as an idea at least. Well, there, there already is a process for people to get involved with making laws, right? And it's the whole, you know, like, oh, propose a bill and stuff and get all your signatures. And I don't know how it works in the UK, but at least in the US, like... You, you can kind of do that. Like it takes a lot of people to make it happen and it might not happen for years and years, but. Well, exactly. It's very old fashioned. Well, I think you call it old fashioned. I'd call it robust. <laughs> I don't want some fuckwit who has an idea that uh, bricks should be made illegal and then suddenly commits that to trunk and now bricks are illegal. Nobody can build houses, right? I don't want some idiot without review to commit a law to the statute books that hasn't gone through very rigorous thought and examination. And laws are complicated because sometimes laws can conflict with each other. There might be a law that says you can't make bricks illegal for some reason. And uh, someone comes along and says, well, I've made a law that says bricks are now illegal. What do you do in a court case where now you've got someone saying, I want to build a house, but this law says I can use bricks. And this one says I can't use bricks. What do I do? In come the lawyers and they, uh, they and judges and um, people who are your peers decide on whether that thing is right or wrong and that law either gets upheld or maybe struck off and everything carries on 
we have a slightly different legal system in the UK. And sometimes the act of taking something to court makes that become a law. And then from that point onwards, the next person doesn't have to go to court because that's now a law and it's been legislated. And so you don't need to have go through that whole dance all over again. But I, I like the fact that there are people who know all these past laws and know what the potential conflicts there are between these laws. It is, I mean, the fact that you, you suggested it was a Git style approach. It is very similar to software. The, the other side of the coin is if some idiot comes along and commits a load of stuff to the Linux kernel that does something dangerous. You've got all the gray beards who are there who say, well, hang on a minute. That's going to break USB or that's going to make it not work on this particular architecture or under these circumstances that won't work. And that's what the code review is there for. And that's why we have code reviewing code and lawyers analyzing bills, um, and the, um, activities that go on in courts to make sure that doesn't happen. I think what's kind of interesting about the idea of version control for legal purposes would be if we had some kind of like continuous integration testing or like the ability to like compile laws somehow. <laughs> That's the only way it becomes interesting to me because then it starts to do some of these things where you're like, well, you know, here's my uh, merge request to make bricks illegal. And then it like runs you know, through the compiler and whatever and comes back and it's like, well, you can't do that because there's already this law from 18 whatever thing, you know, that mandates that this thing be built out of brick. And so it doesn't, you know, failed the unit tests, whatever, move on. <laughs> like that, that seems interesting because then it's not like people like relying on some kind of institutional knowledge of of every law in existence because it seems like the legal system is outside the scope of possible human knowledge so so that that to me is interesting is more of like a compiler for laws than version control is like a next step after that i think and i like the idea of having a virtual machine inside which these laws are tested so we can replay particular cases that have happened and said, okay, well, how would that case have played out if this law was in place? And if this law wasn't in place, would the net result have been the same or would it have been different? And that's like almost impossible to simulate. I'm sure it could be simulated at some point in the future, but it's almost impossible with the computing we have right now in a reasonable amount of time to simulate a the legal process and the arguments and all the individual 12 jurors and the judge and figure out what would happen i think it would be super fascinating for someone to come up with an ai ml you know gpu in, uh, accelerated thing that processes lawsuits and figures out what the result is under different inputs because these are all just things that have inputs it's just there's a shit ton of inputs um, to get that like result of guilty, not guilty, or you know, in favor of the plaintiff or in favor of the defendant, whatever it is. And you mentioned like the idea of a jury of your peers, right? And to me, like I was trying to think of like, okay, well, what's kind of the programming equivalent of like how the court system works, and. There, there is kind of like an interesting concept of like jury nullification, right? Where if like the jury decides that, yeah, this person technically did break that law, but like they're not guilty of this particular offense or whatever, you know, and they kind of like 
do that whole like nullification of the law. Like, yes, it's technically broken, but like in the spirit of like humanity, we don't think they should be punished or whatever. It's kind of like you're writing like a shitload of different compilers and then you've got to run your code against like 12 random compilers and see if it comes out. Like, <laughs> like I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Just like replicating that process is, is interesting. Yeah. And then you've got to fuzz the laws afterwards to find all the, the real, um, you know, unusual use cases. What if one of the jurors one day didn't have their orange juice in the morning or tripped on the way into the courthouse and scuffed their knee. And so they're in a bad mood already. You know, there's, there's so many factors, but if you give the same inputs, it should come out with the same outputs every time. But then you change one of the laws along the way and see what would happen. I, I think it would be super fascinating. I'd be surprised if no one's already attempted simulating the legal process through AI ML with <laughs> the cloud. That all seems entirely reasonable. Is it wrong to take the blame and apologize for family arguments when it's not at all your fault just to keep the peace? Now we're recording this just after New Year. How could this possibly be in my mind, having spent time with family over Christmas? But it is something that I have found myself doing over the years, that there'll be a family argument. It's definitely not my fault. But once I've calmed down a little bit, I realize the only way to fix this situation is for someone to take the blame and fall on their sword, as it were. And that inevitably is me does that make me a psychopath for just lying to my family to try and smooth things over or does it make me the bigger person i don't know i need your advice guys so one piece of advice that i got some time ago from our close friend will cook and he said to me uh often he gets into an interaction with people not necessarily family at a local event but he gets into an interaction with people where there's an argument and the other person is pushing hard and he will end the conversation with okay then that's it he will just say okay then and it's totally non-committal totally doesn't mean you're right and i'm wrong or i'm right and you're wrong it's just okay then i accept we are where we are you don't necessarily have to take blame. You don't necessarily have to win or lose an argument. It is possible to just say, okay, then those are our positions. Let's end it there. Yeah, but that's an answer to a different question. That's the, an answer to a question of how do you stop it blowing up majorly to the point where people are screaming at each other and, um, well, not necessarily, not necessarily screaming at each other, but uh, are not talking to each other and have gone to different rooms or whatever. H how do you smooth it over once it's gone too far beyond the point of no return is my question. So I've certainly apologized where I don't think it was my fault. And secret between you and me, they are just words. <laughs> you can just say them. It's not like you're putting a ring on a finger or you know, buying Bitcoin, it's not a massive commitment to say, I'm sorry. Because saying you're sorry and apologizing doesn't necessarily mean you're taking the blame for everything. You can be apologizing for playing your part in allowing the situation to get out of control. It's not necessarily that you're apologizing for your behavior that got it to where it is. But you know, at the very end, you could be apologizing for, you know, it got beyond what it should be 
between family members or between friends or or whatever. I, I don't think apologizing is a big deal. I think partly it's a token gesture. Partly it's a way of building a bridge and enabling yourself to reboot the conversation. I've certainly had significant arguments with members of my family, you know, shouting matches with doors being slammed and people leaving the house and driving off with squealing tires and all that shit. I've, I've certainly been involved in those. And when you calm down, saying sorry is a way to just get your foot in the door and reboot the conversation and start all over again. Now, sometimes that does lead to another shouting match because you both still have the position that you had before and saying sorry doesn't actually fix that. Well, yeah, exactly. No, just using the word sorry is not enough. You need to explain why you're sorry. And often that means basically lying, admitting liability for something that you don't think was your fault. Not necessarily. When you apologize, you don't have to then explain, I'm sorry. And the reasons why I'm sorry is because you suck. It's, it doesn't have to be like that. It can be, I'm sorry that I, I'm sorry that we ended up having a shouting match. There were raised voices. I'm sorry that you felt uncomfortable that you had to leave the house and drive away. I'm sorry that, uh, you know, our relationship got to the point where, there was shouting involved. You know, there are, these are all things that you could be genuinely sorry for. And then I would shut up and listen generally because say, you don't have to explain the whole thing. You don't have to explain why you are sorry. You don't have to explain fully your position again and trigger the explosion again. Well, no, you have to lie because if you, you can apologize for, allowing it to get bad and all the stuff that you've just said there. But that is generally not going to diffuse the situation. The only way I have found to diffuse those situations is to take the blame for it, to go into detail about what I did wrong, even if I don't truly believe that I was in the wrong. And that's kind of what I'm getting at here, that I've obviously tried to just say, sorry, that doesn't work. I've tried to be non-committal with my apologies that doesn't work but what definitely does work is taking responsibility because everybody wants to be right and if you say yes i put my hands up you are right i was totally wrong that generally means that everyone can move on but it feels a little bit immoral to do that i i'm not so sure i i think there is a middle ground i think you can very easily say i'm sorry for raising my voice i'm sorry for uh, calling you a whatever. I'm sorry that you know, th we got where we did. I don't think you have to go down the road of rehashing the whole thing again. I think that doesn't help anyone. I think it's, it's best to draw a line under it, let everyone calm down, come back to it later with new thoughts at a lower volume with you know, a calmer frame of mind. For me, some kind of techniques that I've learned for kind of diffusing difficult situations is to always try to come from a place of empathy and always try to be vulnerable because I think those things disarm anger. And so starting out with saying, I understand you. I understand why you felt that way. I understand why you got upset, you know, and like coming from a place of 
I understand how that situation was hard for you. It's really disarming for someone, and it's hard to be angry with someone who's saying they understand you. But then also, if you feel upset by something, to be honest about it and be vulnerable about it and say, you know, that thing you said really hurt me, and I got angry about it, and I didn't express that in a healthy way, but it really didn't feel good when you told me this thing or whatever. And and so you're still being honest. You're not backing down and, and taking like all this blame or saying that you were wrong, but you are expressing a vulnerability in yourself. You're expressing like pain or hurt or that feeling that made you upset. You're taking responsibility for the way you reacted about it and that it wasn't a healthy way to express how you felt, but you don't necessarily have to just kind of concede everything. That is all well and good, except for when you're in a situation where there are more than two parties arguing. If there are three or more people all arguing with each other and you are one of them, you end up in this deadlock situation I have found at least. Maybe it's because my extended family are so fucking unreasonable. <laughs> but I just don't think that that would work. They all dig their heels in, including me. And what I used to do is just dig my heels in. But I um, recently heard put into words something that I'd been kind of feeling and thinking about. And that is that anger is an emotion that you cannot help but feel sometimes. You have no control over feeling it, but what you do have control over is how long you feel that for. And if you get angry, you can, within a few minutes, usually calm down and and control your thoughts and, and not keep thinking about the thing that's made you angry and then be more constructive about how you're going to fix that situation. And for me, when there are multiple parties involved, this just seems to be the only way that I can do it is to just take the blame for it. Well, that's practicing mindful awareness, right? Is is knowing like how you're feeling and and being aware. I'm feeling very angry right now, right? And and knowing that the way you feel doesn't necessarily have to translate into the way you act. And like that's a really hard thing to do is to be fully mindfully aware of the state of your emotions. But yeah, that's totally useful for not continuing arguments or not participating in them in the first place. I used to get really angry and I used to find myself wanting almost to continue an argument until it came to the logical conclusion that my head decided it had to go to. And other people obviously have different brains and want to conclude their arguments in other ways, which might be, you know, continuing the argument by shouting or leaving the room or leaving the house. And it took a lot of work for me to figure out um, some years ago that sometimes you just need to let it go and you just need to drop it and let everything calm down. And once everyone's apart from each other, I think this is a key part, <laughs> once everyone's apart from each other and had a bit of time away, you can come back and rejoin the conversation over a cup of tea, a cider or whatever, um, and move on. I think trying to force a conclusion to an argument too soon doesn't work. Everyone needs to have their break to decompress. And as 
Dan says, lose that anger and be mindful of the other person's point of view. And I certainly used to get into a rage and not realize, like, not consider the other person's perspective. And once you take a step back and, you know, put the kettle on and think, how is this affecting the other people in the room? How are the other people thinking about what my perspective is? Do they, do they understand my perspective? Have I put my case across well? Maybe I should revisit this in the future another time once I've had more time to think about it. Maybe they need to have a think about it. I think it's one of those, I think there's certainly some merit in time healing wounds and a bit of separation, but I don't think going back in the room, it just makes me think of antelope bashing against each other constantly. And if you don't separate, then it's just going to carry on. Yeah, but if I don't fix things, then my family just lets them fester and stays mad at each other for days and weeks and months. And uh, so I, I feel like I do, I just have to get it fixed. Right. And I used to think that as well. I used to feel like I have to solve this problem. I'm the fixer. And it's a very male thing to want to fix things. And when there's a problem, to want to actively do something right there and then to resolve the issue and okay what's broken what do you what 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 don't you get what is what don't you understand about my perspective let me explain my perspective again and that doesn't work you 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 need to step back and some some things are not solvable they're they're really not what's your best life hack oh god i hate this phrase i think you should go first alan (laughs) Oh, you have the geez. most experience. You got to have life hacks for days. Are you calling me old? <laughs> no, I'm saying you, you got experience. It's different. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, so whenever I hear the phrase life hack, I think of terrible YouTube videos where people get you to reuse stuff that you already own in ways that are at a superficial level, uh, new and innovative but actually they're just bullshit and nobody's ever going to do these recycling or reuse things because it's just subpar and not fun and not interesting so i i worry that the term life hack has been uh abused to the point where it's become meaningless and i also think of there's there's a youtube channel called dave hacks where the guy's catchphrase is uh pretty cool huh and every, every time it appears in every single video he does. And some of them are creative and some of them are interesting and some of them are ludicrous and stupid and you know, nobody would ever do them. That said, there are some, I think, which are not what I would call life hacks, but common sense. Good ideas. I think those are better phrases. I hate the phrase life hacks. So let's just say, what are good ideas or common sense? And so one of them would be when you take plates from your pile of plates in order to serve up food, take from the top. And then when you take your plates out of the dishwasher, insert them into the bottom of the pile so that your 
plates get an even distribution of going through the dishwasher so the wear and tear is even across them rather than taking them off the top of the pile using them putting them in the dishwasher and then putting them back on the top of the pile now this obviously doesn't count if you are a single person who only has one plate and one knife and one fork but if you are a family who has like a dozen plates then this makes sense to get even distribution of wear and tear across your plates and a similar thing can be used for clothes. So life hack for clothes is I would, um, at the start of the year, insert all your clothes in the, uh, wardrobe and only, only insert clothes once they've been washed on the left hand end of your wardrobe. Uh, you could take things from anywhere in the wardrobe, but only insert clean stuff once it's been washed on the left hand end of your wardrobe. And generally speaking, by the end of the year, anything that's on the right-hand end of your wardrobe, you didn't wear and you should probably throw away. Wow. There's some pretty good life hacks, man. Dan, I can never tell if your wow is <laughs> <laughs> honest, genuine surprise and astonishment or massive sarcasm. I can never tell. No, no. this is That's genuine. Actually, no, I was going to say this is, this okay. is really interesting to me because in food service, this is FIFO, first in, first out. Right, right, or not first in, first out, first, uh, first, last, first in, last out, feel, feel, uh, whatever the fucking acronym is, first in something, <laughs> last in, first out, lifo. Yeah, lifo. There you go. Wow, lifo is a life hack. No, it's not lifo. It's the other way around. <laughs> Philo. It's got to be. It's got to be Philo. No, it's not. First in, last out. <laughs> oh my yeah. god. There's some fucking acronym <laughs> that describes this. It totally applies to like food spoilage. Is the way that I learned it, but yeah, that that makes sense for tons of other things, and I never thought to apply that to things like your wardrobe. So that makes a ton of sense. We call it stock rotation, I think, where you you put the the fresh milk that you've just had delivered at the back of the shelf, exactly. And the older milk is at the front of the shelf. Yeah, which is why at the supermarket you always have to get stuff from the back. Yes, mm-hmm. totally. Uh, but when you're that's when you're trying to subvert somebody else's life hack but at home (laughs) where you're trying to use a life hack to improve your life uh it's a good idea to observe the rules and push the stack down your wardrobe in order to ensure that the stuff on the far right hand end of your wardrobe is the shitty clothes that either you don't fit into anymore or that you don't wear or unfashionable or worn out in some way. And then you should take that last 30 to 50% of your wardrobe and just get rid. I think that my only life hack is something that I've talked about previously on the show. And that is that in the winter, outside is a free fridge for you. I did think it was going to be alcohol-related. <laughs> <laughs> well, not necessarily alcohol, any sort of drinks or even food. If you're at a conference, for example, and you like to uh, have fruit for breakfast and you want it to be cold, you can dangle it out the window in a carrier bag. If you're in a country that doesn't have fridges in hotel rooms like the UK. Okay. Do you want some more? <laughs> Go on, then. <laughs> Um, uh, if you cut yourself, uh, use super glue to, uh, close the cut and uh, seal it up. So you don't get, um, so you don't get blood all over everything. If you want a quick heal, uh, super glue is a good way to close a, a small cut, a minor cut, not the kind of thing where you've got like a giant gash with bones showing through it, but it's a good way to quickly seal a, um, a cut. This is like some fucking field medic stuff. <laughs> 
like take a head from a match and burn it closed. <laughs> I, I was reminded of this when uh, I was uh, cutting potatoes with a mandolin uh, <laughs> over Christmas, and I thought, hmm, I need to have some super glue nearby just in case I slice the end of my fingers off. Um, so yeah, that's a good one. I saw that photo of you using the mandolin with no like little holder or guard anywhere in sight. And I was like, my God, that is dangerous. I always use the stupid thing to like hold the potato. Yeah, I've lost that. That's almost as bad as closing your eyes while you're driving. (laughs) (laughs) Who would do that? I thought you were talking about a musical instrument here, not that V-slicer. Isn't it called a V-slicer? No, it's called a mandolin. Yeah, chef's mandolin. No, a mandolin is... uh, instrument it turns out you can have one word that means two things no stop yes no way so dan you got any life hacks i do actually my life hack is actually um something that i've been kind of working on more um is honesty and i don't just mean like not lying but like being assertive about how you really feel about things yeah dan you're a twat (laughs) yeah i know but I think we spend a lot of time trying to dance around other people's feelings and make other people happy. And it ends up kind of making communication suck and things take longer than they have to, to be understood. And, and so I think this kind of applies to like a lot of ways you interact with other people and like establishing boundaries and things like that. It's just be genuine. So be less American and more British is your life hack. I guess. I guess if that's what you guys do. I don't know. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure we are more honest. I, I think we're worse. We're, we allude to things like, yes, I hear what you're saying, but what I actually mean is you twat. I don't agree with what you're saying. <laughs> Listen to me. Yeah. Maybe my experience is colored by being married to a German because they are very fucking direct about everything. It just seems like it's such a better way to live life. And it doesn't mean like be rude or be inconsiderate or anything like that. Like, I don't mean like be an asshole, but if like someone invites you out and you don't want to go, just be like, nah, I don't want to do that. You know, instead of being like, oh, well, you know, I think I have a thing I got to do. And oh, what are you doing? Oh, fuck. I got to make up something I have to do. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Like when uh, we get to the end of the recording and then Poppy says, I'm bored now. And then just quits mumble yeah i think you got a board now life that's my life hack i have done that in real life as well like been standing with people and we're having a conversation and i'm utterly bored of the conversation i just go i'm bored now and then walk to the bar and get more beer i usually do that when i've had a couple of beers already <laughs> but it, it does work people get the hint that like you're tedious shut up <laughs> Have you got any more than old man? Yeah, okay. Uh, so if you're ever in the situation where you have to buy something for someone and you're embarrassed buying it, and I, I don't know that I would feel this. I'm old enough now that I don't feel super embarrassed buying anything in the shops. But sometimes people can feel embarrassed buying certain products um, for yourself. Uh, all you got to do is add a birthday card to your shopping basket and then it looks like you're buying it for somebody else and then that removes the embarrassment because yeah if you're buying um you know dick healing spray or whatever it is that uh you're embarrassed to buy with a sorry for your loss card <laughs> yeah sorry yeah and uh, it looks like you're buying it for somebody else and everything's fine and you don't feel embarrassed anymore I don't think that the cashier is going to believe that uh, the piles cream you're buying is for <laughs> someone's <Present>. birthday. <laughs> I, I think it's plausible. 
is the worst life hack ever. <laughs> okay. I've got one more. I got this from someone else. Uh, if you're a teenage girl and you're in school and there are boys in your class who are dicks, which is plausible, and it's that special time of the month when you've got the painters in and you need to go to the bathroom, drop the uh, tampon in a water bottle, one of those like non-transparent water bottles that doesn't have water in it and take the water bottle to the bathroom. And then it looks like all you're doing is going to fill your water bottle with water. Wow, that's actually a very useful tip. Mm. Who knew it would come from you? I wonder where you got that from. <laughs> Who would possibly know? <laughs> Man with 16-year-old daughter. <laughs> <laughs> 